scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the revelation given to St. John, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 12. It opens with our Lord's uh, speaking. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray now that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. may be seated. We all remember probably the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And I always wonder what that was like for this woman going out just to get water for her family that day to run into this man and strike up this conversation. And I'll just read you a little bit of it again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Think what that was like to go out and get water at a well and you start this conversation with a man and he knows your whole life. He knows your whole sexual life. He knows who you're sleeping with now. He knows how many times you've been married. And you really get a sense from this woman that her conscience was very pricked by this to suddenly have somebody confront her with how casually she has treated all of this in her life and her marriages and everything else. And there's something about sexual sins that, that kind of strike the deepest in us in terms of bothering us and kind of lingering on in our memories and, and troubling consciences and things. Listen to what St. Paul says about it. Every sin, whatever a person commits, is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own or her own body. And so often these things that are very private and personal and kind of hidden away from the world because there's an element of shame to them can evoke in us, bring out a, a sense of self-loathing and a, a, a real disgust with ourselves. Dr. James Dobson, who is now in his 80s, was a, a famous Christian psychologist back in, the, um, back in his career especially, and he once said, he taught at Stanford, he once said that, that sexual temptation is the issue that drives most men out of the church. The, the struggle that they have with that, he said, is so pronounced and challenging that it often makes it hard for them to want to stay in the church. And I think I would have to agree with that with the counseling I've done and things too. There's a, a very real and intense sense of God's judgment when it comes to these types of things. And when you read a text like this, 
this really strikes fear in the heart. Okay? It, it, it resonates down into that part of us and uh, those most secret places. He describes here that outside of the city gates, that means outside of heaven, not allowed into heaven, outside of the city gates, is uh, all of these, he says, the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. There are no harsher words to be found in the Bible, Martin said, Martin Luther said, than the ones that we heard yesterday in chapel with this, the parable of the ten virgins. When they come to the door and he says, I do not know you. There are no harsher words in all of the Bible. And we're told the door was shut. And those who are excluded, on what grounds are they excluded? The sexually immoral. Jesus teaches us whosoever looks at a woman sexually has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Lustfulness. Murderers. Jesus says whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Idolaters. Setting things up as more important in our lives than God. Okay? Those who practice a lie. Who hasn't done that? So these are very harsh words that we hear describing the people who will not be allowed into heaven. Outside, they're called. But I want you to notice something. When Jesus refers to himself in uh, the final paragraph, look at the text again. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. He could easily have brought up Abraham. But David, when you think about David, what comes to mind? David was an adulterer, big time. David was a murderer, big time. David practiced idolatry by breaking God's commands. He lived a lie for months on end after his sin. And so Jesus, by labeling himself here as the offspring or the child of David, is reminding us also of that incident and how David was cleansed of all of that through faith in him. He's reminding us of the cleansing power of repentance, of being sorry for our sins. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we hear this beautiful line, Blessed are those who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You don't make them white in your own blood or in your own doing but the blood of the lamb that's where the cleansing comes from and throughout the bible here especially in these final chapters john describes the true bride of christ who is waiting for the lord to return <clears throat> just like a, a bride waiting for the groom to come for the wedding and how is she described how is the bride of christ described you could summarize it like this she's concerned about her sins She's aware of them. She doesn't brush them off and treat them as nothing. It's stuff that troubles her heart. <coughs> she realizes she doesn't deserve to be let into this amazing city. She wishes her spiritual life and her conduct as a believer was more faithful and more God-pleasing. It troubles her that she's not been more spiritually minded and more faithful to God. And she loves to hear and know about the forgiveness that she has in her Savior. She's described as being thirsty and hungry for it. And so God, even through this text that at first can sound so harsh, 
is holding out to you and me uh, the wonderful water of life. And he invites us to come and to drink of that water without any cost. He says, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Reminds us again of the woman at the well. And Jesus referring to himself as the gracious water of life. And whoever drinks of him will never thirst. It will quench our eternal thirst. Not only in this life to know him, to know we are forgiven before God, but also and especially in the life that is to come. And so this is what causes the bride of Christ to now cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, please return. I want your return to take place because I know I don't have to be afraid of it because in Christ I am cleansed, I am pure, I have drunk, taken a drink from the water of life. I'm now dressed and clothed in his holy righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Speaking of needing water. The, um, there's a strange request that often happens at the end of a Christian's life, especially as they get way up in years, that sometimes they will ask the pastor to pray for them to die. And that's something we wouldn't do probably in your age and, and maybe even in my age. But uh, asking someone uh, to pray for you that God would come and finally take them. But really inside of the heart of all believers is, <coughs> is this prayer that, that God would come quickly and take us from this veil of tears ultimately to our eternal home. And notice the confidence that we can have because of that Savior. I think about the, that woman at the well who once she drank from the water of life spiritually and came to know of what Christ had done for her, she ran back into her town and couldn't wait to tell her friends to come out and to hear the same wonderful message. What a change of heart it worked in her, in her and in the confidence she now had before God. And so in this Advent season, as we prepare for our Lord's coming and his birth at Bethlehem, let's also remember how he comes to us even now through his word and sacrament, working this faith in us as we look with longing eyes to the day he will finally return and take us to that heavenly home. Amen.